Welcome to Searchlight, a survey through Scripture with Pastor John Corson. It is our desire to bring you a systematic study of the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book. In our study of the book of Judges, we have seen that Israel is involved in a vicious cycle. First, they are doing well and serving the Lord. Then they succumb to sin and end up being enslaved by their sin. After a time, they are sorry for their sin and cry out to the Lord. And finally, they are saved from sin. And this cycle goes on and on. Each time they cry out to the Lord, God raises up a deliverer. In our teaching today, the deliverer being raised up is Deborah. As we join John today, we are just about to see Israel engage in war against the army of their oppressors, Jabin and Sisera. Here now is Pastor John. Well, Deborah, verse 14, says to Barak, Get up, for this is the day which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Is not the Lord gone out before you? Hey, Barak, reveille was sounded, you see. Get up, let's go. This is the day. Sisera with his 900 iron chariots have made their way to Mount Tabor. Made their way to that area where the battle is about to be engaged in. The Valley of Jezreel. Mount Tabor is a hill that sits right in the middle of the Valley of Jezreel. Also known as the Valley of Megiddo or Armageddon. That may ring a bell for you prophecy students. But it's there in that region where this battle was to be engaged. And the Lord, verse 15, discomfited Sisera and all his chariots with the edge of the sword before Barak. So Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. This guy, Barak, who trusted in his arms, that is his chariots, his arms, is now fleeing on his feet. I like this. He thought he would be invincible. We shall see what happened was the Lord sent a rainstorm. And this was happening during the dry season. No general would take his chariots out in rainy seasons. That was not the time that men went to war. They waited till it was dry. And in those days in that country, when it was dry, it was hot and dry. But from out of nowhere came this rainstorm. And and the clouds appeared suddenly and the water came cascading down torrentially. And the chariots that were so seemingly invincible, got bogged down in the mud. This freaked out the people that were around Sisera, this general, this bad guy. Because, hey, they were depending on their chariots that day, and their god was Baal, who was the god of rain. So now it appears to them as, oh no, we're in trouble. Our chariots are bogged down. Rains appeared out of nowhere. It looks like our god, Baal, has bailed out on us. It looks like he's not happy with us. It looks like we're in trouble. Now what are we going to do? 
we know that it was the true and living God, Jehovah, who sent the rain. It's true. Our God reigns, you see. You know that to be true. In this case, literally, he reigns, R-A-I-N-S. As the rain came down, the chariots got stuck in the muck, and the people began to run. That is, these men were freaked out and ran in every direction, including their general, Sisera. So Barak, verse 16, pursued after the chariots and after the host, these guys that are trying to get their chariots out of the mud and running for their lives. Howbeit Sisera, verse 17, he runs away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber. For there was peace between Jabin and the house of Heber in that day. In other words, Jabin, Sisera, Jabin the king, Sisera his general, were at peace with the descendants and family of the Kenites, the house of Heber, that family, you see. So, follow with me. Here's what's happening. Man, Sisera's running for his life. He sees off in the distance a tent, and he recognizes the, the tent. He recognizes the people. It's, it's jail. I know her. I used, to, I used to rule over her. I used to be there when they were living in the other region with the house of the Kenites, and I had dominion. Hey, they... They're under my dominion. He made a mistake in his thought that day. So he makes his way there. Jail, verse 18, goes out to meet him and says, Turn in, my Lord, turn in, don't fear me. So when he turned in unto her, into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. Oh, man. And then she's going to give him a Mickey, which we get Mickey mantle. She's going to really hit a homer here, literally. Uh, That's... You have to realize, I just came out of the dentist's office, and they give you this stuff. Um, but uh, Jael says, come in here. And so Sisera goes in there, and, and he's there. You know, he thinks, oh, great. Here it is, folks. This old ruler that had dominion over them is now in the tent. As we pointed out previously, men never went into the tents of a woman, of a woman unless it was a husband who was invited in, you see. Very unusual. And, and it was the women that had their own tents. In fact, it was really intense because the women actually pitched all the tents. They were the ones that pitched tents and took them down and carried them about. The women did all the work in those days, even as they still do in Israel in the Bedouin tribes. You'll go through Israel and you'll see in the arid areas of the Negev and the desert regions, these tents that are just like they were in this day, large tents. Black tents made of goat skins and, and uh, animal coverings. And Bedouins, these descendants really of, of these people, live in those tents. And the men sit outside all day and they sip Turkish coffee. And the women are the ones that do the child rearing and tend the goats and the sheep, set up the tents and take them down. The women do everything. It's the way it ought to be. But be that as it may. No? <laughs> Be that as it may. Uh, So come in, come in, she says. She invites him into the tent. And then he says, well, give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink. After all, he had been running for his life. His mouth must have been cottony. His throat must have been parched and dry, you see. He must have been sweaty. He was thirsty. The old guy comes in and says, give me a little bit to drink. What does she do? Well, she opened a bottle of milk. And as we pointed out previously, this is a a skin of not milk, ice-cold skim milk or 2%. This is a yogurt-y, cottage-cheesy, 
room temperature-y kind of thing. And room temperature in those tents in the desert, listen, let me tell you, in that region, hey, it could be rather warm to say the least. So now, she gives him, he wants water, she gives him this cottage cheesy, yogurty, room temperature-y kind of dealy. And uh, obviously it wouldn't satiate or satisfy him in the way that water would have. But what it would do is it would put him to sleep, see? It would make, you know how that works when you have a hard time sleeping at night. Sometimes you pour yourself a glass of milk or if you heat it up, mm, all the better, you know, just to have a hot glass of milk. Man, it knocks you out like that. But that's what she was doing. She was uh, giving him milk. She covered him up. And then he said, well, stand in the door of the tent. It shall be when any man doth come and inquire of thee and say, is there any man here? You shall say, no. Then, verse 21, jail. Remember, she's the woman who would be knowledgeable about the instrumentations of setting up and taking down a tent. Well, she took a nail, verse 21, of the tent, took a hammer in her hand, went softly unto him, and smote the nail into his temple, fastened it to the ground. Talk about a splitting headache, gang. I mean, she really nails him, literally. And I like this next phrase, for he was fast asleep and weary, and he died. Well, I guess so. A spike was driven through his temple. And this is a great victory because he was the big gun. He was legendary, you know. He was the powerhouse. And now he goes into this lady's tent and begins to demand of her. Makes her or demands that he lie for her. But what does she do? Just what you should do, what I should do when. When the old man, Romans chapter 6, says, don't you know that you who are born again, that you who are free from the guilt of sin are also free from the power and potency of iniquity. You're free from the power of sin too. What do you mean? Know ye not, Romans 6 tells me and you, that your old man, the old general that used to say, you got to do this, lie, cover it up, deny that I'm here, but you got to do what I tell you to. What do you do? When the old man wants to be satiated, satisfied, when he wants a drink of water, just a little bit, a little drink, a little touch, a little toke, a little whatever it might be, what do you do? You give him the milk of the word. You don't give in to his demands to satiate him because sin is never satisfied. Lust is never satiated. If you give in a little bit, he'll demand a lot more. And when he says, well, lie and deny that I'm even in your tent, Romans 6 says, don't you know that that old man was crucified with Christ? That is, when Christ died, my old man, your old man. I'm not talking about our parents. I'm talking about the old man, you see. That old tendency, that old dominating force and factor within you, within me, that we had to give in to, like Sisera, with his chariots. That old man was crucified with Christ. And therefore, Romans chapter 6 tells you and me, that he was crucified with Christ, and therefore he is dead. And the word dead is katargeia, which means he is paralyzed. He's rendered inactive. He can still yell at me. He can still make his demands on me, but he can't do a thing to me. It's like when I was growing up, I had a, uh, my, my brother had a buddy who was just uh, like Eddie Haskell. And uh, this guy would just, 
be really nice to my brother and really nice to my parents. But when he got me alone, he gave me pink bellies constantly. That's when you lift the guy's T-shirt up, you know, and you bam, 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 until the belly turns pink. Or chest thumpers with the, with the one knuckle. I mean, this guy was brutal. And uh, I hated when he came over because I knew what he would do. Hello, Mrs. Carson. You know, that whole Eddie Haskell deal from the old Leave it to Beaver series. And he was really nice to my brother Dave, but he would get me alone and it would be chest thumpers or pink belly time every time he came into our room, you see. Well, I was afraid of him, quite frankly. And uh, he, boy, well, one day when he was about, oh, 17 or so at Santa Cruz, he was surfing and he got wiped out and his neck broke and he became a quadriplegic and Dave and I went in to see him shortly after the accident in a hospital where he was going through various kinds of rehab stuff and all the rest and and you know Bill could have looked at me and he could have said John I'm gonna get you it's pink belly time I'm gonna thump on your chest again or whatever but you know what he could yell at me he could try to intimidate me but he couldn't do a thing because he was caught our gay ode that is he was paralyzed He was a quadriplegic. The vertebrae was broken. His body was no longer functioning. That's what the Bible says happened on the cross of Calvary. If you believe this, know this to be true. Romans 6 tells me and you, know this. When Christ died, it wasn't simply that he died to pay for the penalty of your sin, but his body was broken, that the power of sin, the old man, is rendered inactive. He'll still say to you, you got to get in. He'll still, t- he'll still say to me, you, you don't have a choice in this matter. But the Bible says, know this. That old man was reckoned, uh, pardon me, was katargeod, was rendered inactive. Now, know this, number two, reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin. You don't have to give in. Number three, yield yourselves as instruments of righteousness. Romans 6 tells you to know this, to reckon it, and to yield yourselves no longer to that sin, but as instruments of righteousness. Is it that simple? Yes, it's that simple. When that thing is making a demand on you, whatever that thing might be, that passion, that problem, that, that emotional thing, or whatever it might be that makes a demand on you, and you say, I don't have a choice, I've got to give in. No. Romans 6 says, know this. You don't have to give in ever again. Because that power was rendered inactive, paralyzed. Its neck was broken. And and you don't have to give in. Reckon this to be true. Say, I reckon it. Not, I reckon, I hope so. But rather, it's an accounting turn. Add up the figures and say, okay, done deal. And yield yourself saying, Lord, I'm not going to give in, but I'm going to give myself to you to do what's righteous or right in this moment at this time. That's what she did. What do you mean? She takes the spike, which speaks of the cross, where Jesus Christ was pinned to the tree, our old man crucified with him. She takes the hammer. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, Is not my word like a hammer? She takes the spike of the cross. She takes the hammer of the word, and she pops it right through his temple, you see. You can do that. I can do that. Every time we choose to do that, you will have victory over whatever old man used to dominate over you. It's a great illustration. It's a great story. And again, it's worth reminding you of, even though we talked on it a few Sundays ago, because it's the most powerful truth that I have ever come across in my own reading of the word concerning overcoming sin. Internal, emotional, external addictions, 
habits, whatever it might be. Romans 6 is the most powerful passage in the Bible that deals with overcoming sin. You're forgiven. The penalty has been paid for by the blood, but the body was broken, that the power of sin might be removed from you and removed from me. If I choose to give in, well, the blood covers me, praise the Lord, but there'll be repercussions from my stupidity. But I never have to choose to give in. Now, psychologists don't like this today, and many counselors have issue with this today. All I can say is read Romans 6. And this illustrates that for every New Testament principle, there's an Old Testament what? Picture. And this is the picture of Romans 6, at least in my perspective and estimation. An old general that used to dominate was reckoned dead, rendered inactive, if you would, by the spike, the cross of Calvary, and the hammer, the word of God, Romans 6 specifically. For you that want to study these things through further, I want to recommend to you a book that changed my life when I was 20 years of age, The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. It's a classic. And if you get that book and go through it prayerfully and carefully, it's a book about Romans 6, the very topic we're discussing here. And it will blow your mind and bless your heart, I'm confident. When you begin to understand, I don't have to give in, I don't have to swear, I don't have to feel that way, I don't have to lose my temper, I don't have to be addicted anymore. You mean it's, it's that simple and that powerful, it's that potent, it's that real, to just reckon myself to be dead under that stuff and yield myself to God and he will honor it in the moment? Yes, just like jail. Took the spike and took the hammer and this old guy was rendered inactive, quite literally. Well, behold, verse 22, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said, come in, I will show you the man whom you seek after. Now, Barak, remember the general, the general of the Israelite forces, the general that was kind of with Deborah, you know, wouldn't go unless Deborah went. Come in, I'll show you the guy you're looking for. When he came into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead and the nail was in his temple. So, verse 23, God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan. Jabin's forces were wiped out that day. And the hand, verse 24, of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin until they destroyed Jabin too. So Sisera the general went down, and then Jabin was taken out as well. And the people of Israel were set free. So Deborah then writes a song. I mean, she's not only a prophetess, but she's a songwriter too. She's not only a judge, but she is a minstrel as well. She sings this song. It's a victory song. Songs are important because songs are easy to remember, much more so than stories we might hear or, or books that we might read. Songs stick with you, and it's true. There's a real power in music. And so Deborah writes this song to Remember and commemorate this victory, this story. It's an important one. Praise ye the Lord, verse 2, for avenging Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princesses. I, even I, will sing, which may mean that she was very, very blessed. She was a judge, a songwriter. She was a, a powerful prophetess. But it could mean, this I, even I will sing, it could mean that she couldn't sing very well. I, I like to believe that. 
I, even me, I, I'm going to sing. So here you can give ear. I, even I will sing. Aren't you glad the Lord said make a joyful what? Noise. That's my verse. doesn't say make a wonderful, skilled sound. He says just if you can make noise, I can do that. So could Deborah. I, even I will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord the Lord God of Israel, Lord, verse 4, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens dropped, the clouds also dropped with water. Now, here's how we know that it rained that day. Because in her song, it tells the story. The mountains melted from before the Lord. In the days of Shamgar, verse 6, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied. That is, Shamgar, the guy we talked about earlier, people were afraid to go down the street or walk on the street because the enemy was out there. They lived in fear of their enemies. But then God raised up these deliverers, these judges. It's interesting to me that the mountains melted, the earth dropped, uh, uh, the heavens, pardon me, dropped, and the clouds dropped water also. That the technology of the day in the valley of Megiddo, right around Mount Tabor, The hot technology of the day, which were iron chariots, were rendered useless because rain came down. And I can't help but wonder, in the technology of our day, when the armies of the world gather in the valley of Megiddo for the battle of Armageddon, it talks about how men again will fight with swords and throw rocks and blood will flow. And we say, how could that be in the days of cruise missiles, of of all the high-tech weaponries? Well... You know what? If indeed the technology goes on the blink, it's going to get down to, again, hand-to-hand combat and people picking up rocks and slugging it out. And I do believe that that's what's going to happen. How so? The largest expenditure in the Defense Department of our own country today is used to go to disabling our enemy's technology. You realize that if we are successful or any nation is successful in messing up the computerized systems of the military, of sabotaging the technology, the computer systems of the armed forces, that armies are rendered useless today. We are a high-tech army. That is, not only this country, but every nation of the world is depending increasingly on technology. But what will happen? When we succeed, as we may have already done, we don't know. These are Defense Department secrets at ways of totally messing up our enemy's technological systems. I mean, my computer crashes all the time at home. Uh, You know, I mean, these things do happen. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see. My own personal suspicion is when the armies converge for the Battle of Armageddon, that the technology will at one point in that battle be rendered absolutely useless. And men will, even as the Bible says, be battling it out hand-to-hand again in the most primitive of ways. Without computers, man, all this modern stuff is useless. Just like in Jabin's day, in Cicero's day. We got iron chariots. Yeah, but what happens if it rains? If it rains, you're stuck in the muck. And so that's exactly what happened. Their technology was rendered to be absolutely useless, ultimately. That is an interesting point. The technology of that day was rendered useless, and it is quite possible that the technology of our day could suffer the same fate. 
But we are not to despair because God is on our side, just like he was in this battle. Please join us again on our next program as we continue to look at this song of Deborah. We'll see you then. This teaching is also available on the Searchlight website at johncorson.com. You will also find on the website Pastor John's books and other Bible study resources. Again, the address of the website is johncorson.com. That's J-O-N-C-O-U-R-S-O-N dot com. Most of us desire to spend more time in prayer, just talking with the Lord and hearing from Him. But we often struggle in this area of prayer. In order to help us have a more consistent and effective prayer life, Pastor John has a book called Praying Through the Tabernacle. This book shows us a model of prayer that is based on the Old Testament tabernacle. This is a very practical tool for everyone who desires an intimate walk with the Lord. You may order Praying Through the Tabernacle from the Searchlight website at johncorson.com. Searchlight is a listener-supported ministry. We appreciate your prayers and support. May the Lord richly bless you.